Starting with chapter 2, verse 8. So it came to pass when the king's commandment and his decree was heard, and when many maidens were gathered together unto Shushan the palace, to the custody of Haggai, that Esther was brought also unto the king's house, to the custody of Haggai, keeper of the women. And the first point I want to make today is that Esther was filled with fear. We love, or I love, because I've confessed to you before, I'm a hopeless romantic. I love to romanticize the book of Esther. She was an orphan. She didn't have an ideal background. Both parents were killed. Her uncle Mordecai and his family took her in. And I've, I guess we've heard it compared to, oh, Esther, you know, she was just handpicked and her beauty just, and it did, her beauty amazed everyone. And I've heard it compared to kind of like a beauty pageant where she had to compete to be the queen of Persia. And those are all lovely things. But when we really study Esther's life, we realize it wasn't quite like that. She was a young teenager. And it's true, the king was looking for a new queen. And he sent out his men through the land. And I can imagine Esther being a young teenager. She probably had dreams and plans like many of our young teens do. She probably wondered if she would be the one to birth the Messiah maybe. And her life, you know, she was settled in with her uncle and his family, but it had been traumatic up until this point. And all of a sudden, with one knock on the door, her whole life changed. And you might think, oh, she was so lucky because these, the king's men came and they, you know, we might want to say that they, they knocked on the door and they said, Esther, you know, we've seen you, we're amazed by your beauty. Would you like a chance to change your life? Would you like to come with us? But it wasn't like that. They didn't give her a choice. Basically, I think they just said, you come with us. And all of a sudden, she found herself on a journey to a place she had never been before, to be with people she had never met. And as mile after mile separated her from her family, I have no doubt that fear was a very real emotion she experienced. See, she was Jewish. This was a Jewish family, and the nation of Israel had been conquered by Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, who had then conquered the Persian Empire. And some Jews had returned to Jerusalem, but Esther and her family had stayed in Persia. So they were already kind of these godly people trying to serve the one true God, living in a very pagan nation. And all of a sudden, she's being torn from her only security to go to a different place among these people who didn't even serve her God. So as she was leaving, her uncle quickly whispered, Esther, keep your Jewish identity a secret for your own safety. And so on she went to the palace. And we can conclude in some ways that her life maybe was even unfair at that point. And I want to say to you today, I know there are people sitting here who have come from tragic backgrounds. You're, you don't have a good pedigree. You didn't come from a Christian background. And sometimes you might feel, God can't use me. God doesn't have a purpose for me because of my background. But I want to tell you the story of Esther proves otherwise. God can bring triumph from your tragedy if you will let him use you. Esther chapter 2, verse 9. 
And the maiden pleased him, and she obtained kindness of him, and he speedily gave her things for purification with such things as belonged to her, and seven maidens which were meet to be given her out of the king's house, and he preferred her and her maids unto the best place of the house of the women. Number two, Esther experienced favor. Now, biblically, favor can be defined as a friendly disposition from which kindly acts proceed to assist, to provide with special advantages, to receive preferential treatment. So even though Esther was filled with fear, she trusted in God, and we, knew, we know God was with her. One day, she was an orphaned Jewish refugee, and literally one year later, she was queen of Persia. God's favor was upon her and made her countenance or presence appealing and endearing, and everyone who looked on her favored her. Because of the favor God had given her, she eventually was able to fulfill her destiny and change a nation. Psalm 84:11 says, The Lord is a sun and a shield. He bestows favor and honor, and no good thing does he withhold from us. And I want to remind you today, if you are following the word of God for your life, if you are seeking to please him and honor him, you have the favor of God. And there is no situation that you ever experience that you cannot get, get through. Life might not always be pleasant. Life is not roses. Life is a roller coaster. But when you have the favor of God on, on you, there is nothing that you cannot get through. And if you're here today and you've never experienced the favor of God, I want to tell you, you can have it. You can have it. It's for you. And so if you ask any of us who have been around here any length of time, we're happy. I always put a plug in for Bible studies because I love teaching the word of God. We will gladly sit through a Bible study with you. We will show you how you can obtain the favor of God. It's for you. It's for everyone. Exodus 3.21 says God's favor will bring forth restoration out of everything the enemy has stolen from you. God's favor will assure you victory in every situation. Can you operate outside the favor of God? Absolutely. But again, like I just mentioned, favor can be restored. If you're here this morning and you've walked away from God, you can have his favor on your life again before you leave this place. And I believe someone, God wants to do that for somebody this morning. <laughs> Esther chapter 2, verse 12. Now, whenever the maid's turn was come to go in unto King Ahasuerus, after that she had been 12 months according to the manner of the women, for so were the days of their purifications accomplished, to wit, six months with oil of myrrh, six months with sweet odors, and with other things for the purifying of the women. Number three, Esther's fragrance. See, Esther's journey to being queen didn't happen overnight. And again, me, the hopeless romantic. I would like to think that day two, after Esther arrived at the palace, she was walking through the courtyard with her long hair and her robe blowing in the breeze. And the king was up on a high balcony. And all of a sudden, lo and behold, the most beautiful creature he had ever laid his eyes on. His palms got sweaty. His heart began to beat quickly. And he said, she's the one. There's no need for any other for me to even see any other candidates, this, this is the one. But that's not how it happened. The Bible says that she spent 12 months waiting. Has anybody ever waited for anything? 
Is anybody here waiting for a prayer to be answered? Two or three. <laughs> I am. We know that Esther waited. <clears throat> and I just lost my place. One second. <laughs> we know from scripture that she had to endure beauty treatments for six months, oil of myrrh, and six months in spices and ointments. We know from scripture that myrrh has many healing properties, but actually the process of soaking in myrrh was a bitter process. The word myrrh comes from the Hebrew word myra, which means bitterness. Myra, myrrh was used in the making of perfume to preserve the fragrance. In other words, it kept the perfume from rotting or losing its beautiful fragrance. And as I began to study that, I wish we had more time to talk about this. We, we don't because we have somewhere else to go. But <laughs> this is a beautiful, there's a beautiful lesson here. Without enduring the myrrh process in our lives, our fragrance, well, for lack of a better word, will be just stinky. Life isn't fair sometimes. And I can say pretty confidently, some of you are in a waiting season. You've either just come through one or you're in one or you're about to go through one. Isn't that encouraging? Because life is full of ups and downs, but you have a choice. In those seasons, you can either trust the process and cling to God, like Esther did, or you can let a root of bitterness creep in. A root of bitterness, when it springs up, it not only destroys inner peace, but it affects everyone around us. And I'm going to read Hebrews 12, 15, in the Amplified Version, it says, Exercise foresight and be on the lookout to see that no one falls back from and fails to secure God's grace, which is his unmerited favor and spiritual blessing, in order that no root of resentment, bitterness, or hatred spring forth, cause trouble and bitter torment, and many become contaminated and defiled by it. See, when we allowed bitterness to take root, and sometimes, I think my husband has said this before, sometimes it feels good to have a bad attitude. Sometimes, just for a minute. If you're upset with someone and someone has hurt you or offended you, sometimes just for a minute. Any, anyone honest enough to admit that? <laughs> sometimes it feels that way. But we cannot afford to let bitterness take root in our lives. When someone that has bitterness walks into a room, does, do they exude the, a beautiful fragrance? What happens? They don't attract people to them. People are repelled by that. And the last thing we need to do as children of the king is to have a root of bitterness that causes people to be pulled away from God. We should exude that fragrance, that beautiful fragrance of the love of Jesus everywhere we go in this world. And that's what Esther did. She allowed the Persian attendants to transform her and prepare her to meet with the king. And because of the sweet fragrance that she emitted, she was not only accepted by the king, but she was favored by the king. Her influence was far-reaching across the Jewish and Persian empires for years to come because she allowed the oil of the Holy Spirit to beautify and purify her. She exuded that fragrance of love and grace. Does anybody want to exude that fragrance in your life? 
Esther 4, verse 13. Then when Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place, but thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knows this famous scripture, whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Now, most of us know the story. What's going on here? Haman, one of the king's closest men, had observed Mordecai, Esther's uncle, sitting at the gate. Mordecai refused to bow to Haman. He only would bow to the one true God. Haman became vengeful. He became angry. He became bitter. And he was determined to destroy Mordecai. When he found out that Mordecai was Jewish, he determined to destroy, to issue a command to destroy all of the Jews. Now remember, the queen, Esther, she's a Jew, but she's kept her identity a secret all of this time. So her uncle comes to her and he says, this is your time. This is your moment. You've been silent and there's been safety in your silence up until this point. But all of this has happened for this one moment. Basically, he said, are you willing? Are you willing to go before the king, even though he hasn't called you? Are you willing to go? <clears throat> when Mordecai issued his challenge, she knew this was a situation beyond her control. And only a breaking of the spirit through fasting and prayer would resolve the situation. We read in chapter 4, verses 16 through 17, go gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan. Fast ye for me, and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise, and so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law, and if I perish, I perish. And this is kind of where I felt God wanted us to go today. And I... I, I could not get away from it. Prayer and fasting. She knew there are some things that the Bible says this that cannot happen but by prayer and fasting. And she knew she could not do it alone. She knew she needed the strength and the unity of those around her. Now, here's honest Kathy for a moment. We've been called, our pastors have called us to a fast several times prayer and fasting. And usually in January, every year, we do a fast of some sort. And fleshly, Kathy says, oh, good, because <laughs> I gained a few extra pounds at Christmas. This is my chance. Because if it's a fast, it's not a diet. I can't break it. That's, that's the human side of me. But the Jewish people, when they called a fast, they were serious about it. They pushed away the plate. They spent hours preparing food for their families, and they spent all of the time they would have spent in food preparation seeking the face of God. And that's the kind of fast that Esther did, and that's the kind of fast that God is calling us to do. Isaiah 58 verse 6 says, Is this not the fast I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke. Fasting will loose chains of wickedness in our lives. 
Prayer and fasting strengthens the spirit. It releases power in intercession. It releases direction for decisions. It softens the heart, and it prepares the heart for repentance. It breaks pride. It brings humility, and it will bring breakthrough in your crisis. That's what prayer and fasting will do. And a little simple thing I was taught when I was a little girl is that we have the flesh on this side and we have the spirit on this side. And this is very basic. But the more I feed the flesh, and I'm not just talking about food. Has anyone ever noticed your flesh is strong? The fleshly side of you is strong? Your flesh is always, I don't know, but maybe it's not, but mine always wants food, usually sugar. My flesh is always crying out to be pampered, pamper me, entertain me, you know, get my mind off problems, let, you know, let me read this book or let me, whatever, whatever it is to distract me from life, but just pamper me, pamper me, pamper me, pamper me. And the more I feed my flesh, the more my spirit is starved. And that's what happens to us. That's what happens to us on a daily basis. But when we begin to feed our spirit, our flesh gets weaker. And I believe we have people sitting in this room that have addictions. Maybe nobody else knows about your addiction. You have struggles that nobody else might know about. You're praying for things and you have yet to see an answer. And when, if we would begin to pray and fast and really get a hold of this, I believe that addictions would be broken in our services. I don't believe it's the will of God for people to walk in here with yokes and bondages and walk out the same way they came. If we, as the people of God, if we will pray, if we will fast, if we will say no to the flesh, and if we will say yes to the spirit, God will do things that will blow our minds. And I believe God is calling us. And I ask permission to say this. I know I'm not a pastor. I know I'm not. But I believe that God is calling us to a place of prayer and fasting where we will see things happen that otherwise we may never see. Prayer and fasting is the key to seeing the kingdom of God come on the earth. And that is why you face all kinds of opposition when you fast. Because the moment you give yourself to prayer and fasting, all hell hears your declaration. And all hell fears your declaration. Prayer and fasting will move you into a new realm of authority. The Bible says whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. We have the power through prayer and fasting to stand as a gatekeeper, as a force against the powers of darkness. We have the power and authority to drive the enemy out of the affairs of mankind. Here is the, the thing. The enemy wants you to think that he has all this authority and he has all of this power over you. He wants us to fear him. When you have the spirit of God within you, you have more power in your little finger than all of the power the enemy wants you to think he has. The enemy has no power except the power we give him through our actions and our decisions and our everyday choices. Think about that. When you choose to not walk with God, you give him a little more power. But when you choose to strengthen your spiritual man, he loses all of that power over you. There is a real battle going on. The enemy is taking no prisoners. He is out for blood, and the world is in turmoil. 
It was true in Esther's day. There was a nation at stake, and it is true today. But people of God, we have been called for such a time as this. God has given us territory to claim, but we must claim it through prayer and through fasting. And I'm going to come back to that in a minute. But after fasting and prayer, of course, there must be corresponding action. Esther used her life as an instrument of intercession. She had to do something. And so even though the king had not called for her in 30 days, and she probably wondered, have I fallen out of favor with the king? Will he even see me? And if she came to the king unannounced or uninvited, she could lose her life. And yet she chose to stand in the gap and vouch for her people. And of course, we know that when the king heard the truth, the very gallows Haman had built for Mordecai, Haman himself was hanged on. God gave Esther favor, and her people, her nation, were spared. So she wrote history, rewrote history, because she stood in the gap. And as I wrap this up this morning, I want to talk to you about a few modern-day Esthers. And this is not just for ladies. Of course, moms... Nobody can pray like you for your babies. And I just want to put a plug in. If you have kids that are struggling, struggling spiritually, you can literally push back hell through your prayer. Through prayer and fasting, you can stand in the gap for your kids. But you've got to be willing to do it. I want to talk to you about a few modern-day Esthers. First one, I think we have a picture there. At the age of 21 years old, she says, I left New Brunswick on a train for Ontario in the freezing cold of February. My aunt and uncle took me to an airport in Toronto and I embarked on my journey to Africa for the first time. Imagine, 21 years old. I can't even imagine that. She didn't know what lie ahead of her. She had no idea about the language, the culture, the things that she would face. And she has been a missionary now for 22 years and it started with a single decision, with a single, here I am, Lord, with a single God, I will step through the door that you have opened for me. And just recently, this lady was called to another country within the continent of Africa where there were no resident missionaries. And remember, she's a single lady. And she told me, I asked her to, to write out some of this for me, and she said, one of my greatest battles has always been fear. Being in a foreign country, not a Christian country, there's all kinds of opposition, and being a single lady, it's frightening at times. And she said, when I moved to, to Gabon, I was overcome again with fear, and I thought, God, why do you have me here? But God reminded me that he had called me and that he was enough. And she's told this before when she was here, but God gave her a dream one night, and there's a compound around her house, a cement wall, and God showed her angels all around the outside wall of her compound. And then on the inside wall of the compound, God showed her men and women with their hands intertwined, praying and fasting for her. And God spoke to her and he said, if the enemy ever gets through the outer wall, he will never get through the inner wall of the saints of men and women who have gathered to pray and fast. And so she said, I've never struggled with fear since. She has seen countless people receive the Holy Ghost, be baptized in Jesus' name, their lives and their destiny changed, all because she overcame her fear 
She had favor with God. Her fragrance was pleasing to the Lord, and she stepped to the kingdom for such a time as this. Next picture. At 27 years of age, Lynn Jewett took a 10-month leave of absence from her job as a lab tech in St. John, New Brunswick, and she's never looked back. She said the first year she used her own savings, and then the second and third year she used her pension from the hospital, but by the fourth year she knew God was saying, sell it all. And so she saw, sold all of her earthly possessions and packed up and left for good. And I just want to insert here that like Esther, Lynn had a traumatic background. Her life was not pleasant. She had gone through a very painful season in life. But she chose to walk through the open door that God had for her. And she has never looked back. And God has brought triumph from her tragedy. She wrote a book. If you don't have it, I would highly recommend it. And she told me, she said, one of my greatest struggles as Colleen has been fear because I'm a single lady. She said over and over, she said, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a preacher. I'm just a willing vessel. And so she said, I remember one time she's told this story here, the egg story. She said, I literally had one egg left in my kitchen to eat. I had no more groceries. And I said, God... You said you would provide for me, so I'm going to cook this last egg, and I'm going to trust you. That's faith. She cooked the egg, and we know the story. Many of you know uh, several bags of groceries. I believe it was that same day later on appeared at her door. She had told no one. But God will never call you to something and not see you through it if you will walk through the door. She's ministered in over 16 nations around the world. She has seen countless children receive the Holy Ghost and be baptized in Jesus' name. She's done training sessions with pastors and churches literally all over the world. And perhaps one of her greatest accomplishments is, as you see in this picture, working with the orphanage where she has seen more than 50 children rescued from traumatic, tragic homes and seen them be restored and find new life in Jesus. If you walk through the door, God will go with you. I want to talk to you about two more special ladies today in closing. Next picture. It's hard not to get emotional about this one. In many ways, I would say Sister Phillips was like the church grandmother. <laughs> and this morning down here on, on the chair where she normally sits, Tanya Porter has lovingly placed a bouquet of beautiful flowers. If you haven't seen them, maybe you can stop by afterward. But she leaves a very big hole in our church family. She leaves big shoes to fill. For those of you who don't know, Sister Dorothy Phillips prayed every single day through our church directory. She prayed for missionaries around the world. She prayed for her pastors. She was faithful. She and Brother Phillips, <laughs> we had to tell them at times when there was a snowstorm, please stay home, <laughs> because we were afraid for their safety. 
This lady, though she didn't leave this city, she was a modern-day Esther. She stepped to the kingdom for such a time as this, and we will never, ever know. The song, I, I, we were thinking about her funeral yesterday, and the song Prayer Warrior came to me, and I think we're going to sing it in her honor because I can't think of a song more fitting for her. She was truly a prayer warrior. She truly stood in the gap used her life as an intercessory tool, and you will never know what her prayers have spared you from. You will never know. So my question is, who is going to fill her shoes? Who is going to step to the kingdom for such a time as this? And our last Esther, this morning I'm going to ask Ryan to come back, our music to come back. And I promise I'm not playing on your sympathy this morning, but I simply could not talk about Esther and her story without speaking of these ladies because they were modern-day Esthers. This lady was born in a small town not far from here. Today is her birthday. Her family weren't wealthy, but she knew God had called her to more, so she left her comfort zone. She got an education degree. She attended Bible school, and her story, like Sister Phillips, is a little bit different because she didn't travel to faraway nations to minister. She hunkered down right here. She didn't speak well. She probably said a few words in just about any language. But she spoke the universal language of love everywhere she went. And like Esther, her sweet-smelling fragrance was the love of God. And it caused people to be drawn to her constantly. At one point, she became connected to a beautiful group of Korean ladies and hosted them in her home on a weekly basis for more than two years. Could she speak their language? No, I don't think so. She might have known how to say hi and bye. But somehow, she found a way to make it work. She was heavily involved in the Multicultural Association. And if you attended her funeral, you saw a video where several people from all over the world that have migrated to Fredericton thanked her for her love and for the impact that she has made on their lives. She led the charge here at CCC where we ministered to immigrants, where we taught English, where we would go in and buy them groceries when they came. We would get them furniture because they had nothing. I remember one day walking into a house and the lady had her meat in the cupboard and Kleenex in the fridge because they don't know. And I was a little timid. I was a little fearful. I felt inadequate. I felt intimidated by the language barrier. But Charlene, you don't have to worry about that. You just have to love. And she taught me how to truly love them. She even wrote a Bible study for people with limited English. And after connecting with a lady who came to our church from Brazil, she and Willa started a weekly online Bible study with a group that is ever-growing. And now I believe Pam's involved in helping with that. If you want to get involved with that, I think Willa could use some help. She's nodding her head. <laughs> There's always opportunity if you look for it. And when she was diagnosed with MS, some of you didn't even know she had it because she didn't want anyone to feel sorry for her. And I was telling her one day, oh, Charlene, I'm so sorry. Are you in pain? She said, 
no, I'm not worried about that. She said, I might not be able to get out and I can't maybe go to the Multicultural Association and I can't maybe go here and there. But she said, I'm going to get a little table and a chair and a Bible study chart and I'm going to sit at the end of my driveway. She lived on a busy street. And she said, anyone who comes by, there's going to be a sign that says free Bible studies. That was her heart because she loved souls. And it wasn't just multicultural people. There would be people call the church and say, I want a Bible study. I want to know more about the Lord. And I would think about Charlene and I would call her and I would say, are you willing to teach so-and-so Bible study? And she would say, absolutely. And before the end of the day came, she would have contacted that person. Who? Who is going to be Charlene? Who is going to fill her shoes? She did prayer walks around schools on a regular basis. She's mothered many people who don't have a Christian heritage. And because of her prayer and fasting and boldness, many lives have definitely been spared. A few weeks ago, only three days before she passed, she called my husband and I to come to Hospice House. And we went over not knowing what to expect. And we found her quite coherent. She was ever witty and bright. She had us laughing. She had us crying. And she preached to us. And she knew that her time was short, but she was at peace. And she begged us to carry on with teaching the word of God, with reaching for the lost. I watched as the nurse came in to give more medication and Charlene grabbed her by the hand. And she began to witness to her about the love of God. She began to tell her about the peace of God that she had found, even though she knew her time was short. And through tears streaming down her cheeks, she said, if you need peace, if you need love, it's in Jesus. And then she pointed her little finger at me and said, and now she's going to sing. <laughs> and sing I did, because you didn't say no to Charlene. <laughs> that was her such a passion, such a heart for the lost. And this week, her daughter stopped by and she said, I've been driving mom's car. And I noticed this little bag that she carries with her everywhere she goes. It was in her back seat. And so she said, I got curious and I opened it up. And in that bag was her Bible and a Bible study chart. Because everywhere she went, she was ready to be an Esther. She was ready to share the love of Jesus. She wasn't intimidated by different backgrounds or different cultures or even people from her own culture that might seem intimidating on the purpose because on the surface because everywhere we go, people are hurting. Everywhere you go, People are looking for hope. And we can become complacent. It's easy. The world is not tolerant of this gospel. The world is not tolerant of what we have to share, of our views and our morals. They're tolerant of everything but. But now is not the time to be silent. Now is the time, men, this is for you too, to step to the plate, to walk through the open door and say, here I am. Here I am, Jesus. 
I'm going to ask you to stand with me. As I mentioned earlier, if you're here and you didn't relate to a lot of this because you don't yet have a relationship with Jesus, if you will come when we come to the front in a moment, God can touch you. He can change your life. He can use you regardless of your background, regardless of whatever pain you brought in here with you. Jesus can heal it. He can make you whole and he can give you his favor. And for those of us who have been on the journey for a while, God wants to use us. God is calling us to prayer like never before. God is calling us to fast. And I'll tell you, God has been dealing with me about this for quite some time. To push away my flesh and to let my spirit be strengthened. Because if we don't, we will never stand in this ungodly world. If we don't strengthen our spiritual man, we will be overcome with fear. We will. But if we will strengthen the spiritual man, if we will give ourselves through prayer and fasting, we will be changed and the world around us will be changed. I'm going to ask you to come. If you have something you've been praying for that you haven't seen answered, if you have a prodigal that you know that is not here with you this morning, I'm asking you to come. If you have a son or a daughter who is struggling spiritually, I'm asking you to come because if you will step through that open door, if you will seize the moment for such a time as this, God will turn your situation around. Do you believe it? I've asked, I'm going to ask Sister Beverly to come and she's going to pray for us. One of the greatest things that we struggle with, like I just mentioned, is indifference. The enemy wants to keep the church silent. He wants to lull us to sleep. He wants us to forget about the lost around us. And I asked her to come and pray that God would release a hunger for prayer and for fasting, a commitment, uh, that he would stir up a commitment like never before, that God would shake that indifference and that complacency off of us. So I'm going to ask her to pray for that. And then Pam is going to pray for our prodigals and our families. If you would just come, we're going to pray together. We're going to give ourselves to God. And I believe God is going to use us.